people have a tendency to take part of the Christian message and run with it because it's the only part of the Christian message they've received and we don't get any manual that says, oh, by the way, you've, you've missed this section. But it's our contention that the Christian life is like a three-legged stool. And if you are missing one of those foundational uh, legs of that stool, it either will be very uncomfortable or you find yourself falling over. And so this series has been looking at those three legs of uh, the Christian life and uh, helping us to uh, examine our own lives in light of them. And to do that, we've been looking at uh, the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Uh, now, uh, this morning's message, we're focusing on that third leg. Uh, if you didn't get in on the first two, you can check those out online. But uh, this morning, uh, we're fo- focusing on the third leg, and that is uh, that it's not the Christian life if you don't share. Now, uh, to give you some picture of this, I want to introduce you to a man named Steve Loam. Uh, he's a cardiologist, and he likes to run. And uh, on this particular day, he was at the starting line of a half marathon with some 9,000 other runners. His biggest concern that day was whether he could keep up with his uh, teenage uh, children who were also competing in the half marathon. And uh, he started off on that run uh, excited, eager, and feeling like, this is a good day. It's going to be a good run. Well, at about the five-kilometer mark, somebody in front of him, just uh, a few runners in front of him, in fact, fell. But the way that this man went down said to him as a cardiologist, this isn't someone who just tripped. This isn't someone who just got uh, knocked and... and uh, 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 fainted normally to to collapse that suddenly, this has to be a heart attack. And Steve's a a cardiologist. He knows what to do. But he's he's out in this half marathon. This is his day off. Surely there are race officials that can take care of this. Surely there are volunteers trained to, to deal with this. And you can see all of those thoughts potentially running through his mind. Well, if they were running through his mind, Thankfully, on this particular day, he ignored those thoughts, and he stopped, uh, assessed uh, the, the, uh, the other runner, uh, began CPR, and continued compressions until paramedics arrived, uh, defibrillated him, and were able to get him to hospital. So he continued on. He was now behind his teenage uh, uh, children and uh, quite behind in his uh, Uh, in his race, but he ended up um, completing the half marathon. And amazingly, as he gets to the half marathon, as he gets to the finish line, completes the finish line, uh, the finish of this half marathon, again, just two uh, steps in front of him, another runner collapses in front of him, and this person also has collapsed from a heart attack. This time, He's exhausted. He's done. He's finished his race. He wants to find his children. He wants to celebrate his victory. But once again, he realizes this person in front of me needs my help. And he jumps in, again, performs CPR, and uh, again, continues to do so until uh, medical personnel can arrive to take him to hospital. Now, they say that just 10% of people 
who suffer a cardiac arrest outside of a hospital end up surviving. Thanks to Steve Loam, these two individuals did. Not only did they survive, but the following year, the three of them uh, raced in that same half marathon, raced together, uh, far less eventful, as I understand, but they raced with uh, a sense of joy and satisfaction, crediting Steve with their life and just being grateful uh, for the lives that they uh, had been uh, given at a time when you didn't know what, uh, what might have become of them. Now, I share that story because, in a sense, what Steve Loam did on that day is what we are all called to do uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have received the grace of God, you are called to share the grace of God. Uh, if you have received uh, good news, hope, joy in Christ, salvation from a Savior, we are all called to give that away, to uh, be those who offer it to others and to bring hope and love to people in our lives. And while we know that and while we feel that, we, we own that, we often feel like there are other things that can get in the way. We've got our own race, race to run. We're tired. We face the challenges of, uh, that Steve did. You know, I've got my family. I've got other things on my mind. There are things that I have uh, to do, things that can get in the way. And yet, we've still been called to share. And there are aspects of the Christian life that we cannot experience without uh, learning to give away what we've been given, without learning to share uh, what God has shared with us. And so this morning we're looking at this third leg, this, this whole idea of sharing what, what we have received and how important it is on one hand, but also how it works in the life of a believer. And to do that, uh, we are looking at the, uh, the story of a man named Saul. He, he went on to become known as the Apostle Paul uh, but we're looking right at the, the starting point of his Christian experience. And I want you to see it for yourselves, not take my word for, it for, uh, uh, for granted. And so I uh, encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verses 19 to 28. Uh, in the Black Church Bibles on the rack under the seat in front of you, it's on page 863. Acts 9, verses 19 to 28, page 863. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he's the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he, has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Now, there are several takeaways from this passage. And the first is just this, share even when people reject you. That often when people experience resistance, when they experience, have a bad, uh, a bad time with somebody who just doesn't want to hear, doesn't want to express interest, and maybe they're just angry that you brought up the topic, it can be tempting to just bottle it up and keep it to yourself and not ever say or do anything for other people, and you just enjoy it for yourself. But we've been called to share uh, even when people reject you. Now, I don't know what you were feeling as I was reading the scripture. Sometimes people tune out. Sometimes people uh, try and read it, but you're, you're trying to figure out what's going on. For me, the opening verses uh, read a little bit like um, a scary movie. You know one of those movies where um, they they send all of these messages to to make you know that something ominous is happening. Maybe uh, the weather outside is is uh, is dark and there's lightning, and then inside uh, maybe a, a woman is sitting in a in an in an empty house and she hears a crash, but she for some reason thinks, oh, it's probably nothing. And then when she does go and and investigate. For some reason, she leaves all the all the lights off, and she wanders back backwards into the room, and and you're like, turn around, turn the lights on. She's there's someone with a knife is behind the the curtains, and of course the person doesn't listen to you. They can't hear you. You're watching the movie, and 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 a little bit of that is happening as we are uh, reading these opening verses. Uh, Saul has just had this amazing encounter with Jesus. He had, he had initially headed off to Damascus in order to, uh, to round up any Christians that he found because he thought they were stirring up trouble. He thought that they were deceived, that this whole Christianity thing was nonsense, and he was going to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem, and possibly kill them the way that he has already uh, presided over the, the death of, of Stephen. They stoned uh, that uh, uh, Stephen in uh, that first martyrdom. And so he's on his way to do that. On the way to Damascus, he's blinded by this light. He meets resurrected Jesus, and uh, he is transformed. Uh, he is, after three days, healed uh, of his blindness uh, he has put all of his trust in Jesus. He is baptized, as Sang Jun was just a few minutes ago. And uh, as that all transpires, uh, he is, is experiencing this new life. And as we read verse 19, we, we, ex- we feel along with him the joy of this new life. It says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. They're doing Bible studies. They're praying together. They're, they're investigating all of those Old Testament verses that pointed forward to the, the coming Savior. Uh, they are experiencing the joy of new life together, and, and, and it's good. And it feels like the opening scene of that thriller, the, that time when everything seems happy, 
and yet you know that something else is coming. Then in verse 20, it says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. And this is that point in the movie that you're thinking, don't do that. This won't go well. They, they can't help but want to do to you what you were doing to uh, the Christians just uh, a little while ago. But just like in the movie, Saul doesn't listen to you. He continues on uh, making Jesus known. In verse 21, the people are amazed. And that sounds good. It feels like maybe, maybe this, he's going to get a good reception after all. Uh, they are, uh, they're, they're realizing, hey, this is the one who came to arrest the Christians He's actually got letters from the high priest authorizing him to round up anyone who is a follower of Jesus. If this guy has become convinced that Jesus is the real thing, we got to listen to him. And like in the horror movie, we have that false sense of anticipation. Maybe this is going to be okay. Maybe it's all going to be all right. Maybe everyone is going to receive this message of good news and live happily ever after. But that doesn't happen. Well, we know what's coming, and it comes in verse 23. It says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And we're thinking, I knew this was, would happen. Why didn't he just stay in the Bible study? Why didn't he just keep to himself, close the door, hang out with the other Christians? Why did he have to make this good news known? While we're at it, how do you answer those questions? How for yourself, what, what is it that, that motivates you to, to not just stick to yourself, but to try to uh, make this great hope that we have known to others? What, what, what is it that, uh, that you would look to as the means by which you would say, no, I, I think I... I, I ought to share this, this good news. I think I ought to uh, offer hope to those around me. Saul clearly believed that sharing his faith was an essential part of his faith. I think having been rescued himself, having experienced the forgiveness of God himself, he, he felt a sense of responsibility to share it with others. He, he couldn't not share it with others. But I think something more was going on than that. In John 7, 38, there's this critical verse where Jesus says this, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here, Jesus is talking about how God's spirit works in our lives. He compares the Holy Spirit to living water. But interestingly, he is promising, first of all, that when we put our trust in him, we receive that living water, that we receive the spirit of God in our lives. But the, the, the spirit of God doesn't come into our lives like water comes into a cup. Notice here that it says that those living waters will flow out of his heart. And so the message here is not that, that, that God's spirit is like water flowing into a cup. It is like um, water flowing through a channel. 
throwing, flowing through a, a vessel that, that then shares. It, it is receiving something that it might share it with others, that it might flow through us. God saves us so that we can be a channel of his grace to other people, to bring hope and help, love, and uh, offer the forgiveness of God to those who need to hear. He saved us, then he commissioned us. He gives us grace so that we can share grace. The thing is, if we decide it's not a good time, this is inconvenient, I've got my own life to run, I'm busy, I've got family, There, there are things going on. And we choose, this is, this is too inconvenient. There, there's, the people may not, may, may not want this. And we make the decision, I will just take this grace of God that I've received and keep it to myself. I'll, I'll, I'll close the door, I'll hang out by myself, I'll enjoy it myself, but I'll keep it to myself. Based on this verse, what happens then is that the water stagnates. If this is living water, it is intended to flow into a person and out through them. But if a person decides, no, I'm not going to do that flowing out part, then the water stagnates. We, we, we stop experiencing that water flowing through our lives into the lives of other people. And we, we begin to say things in our lives like, For some reason, I just don't seem to feel as close to God anymore. For some reason, I feel kind of dry in my relationship with God. And I don't know why that is. For some reason, my my spiritual life doesn't feel as fresh anymore. Why could that be? And and I I think what Jesus is saying here is the, the water stopped running. We, we, we received, but we weren't willing to share. We, we mistook the work of God in our lives and thought it was more like a cup, but in fact, it's a channel. And he wants our lives to be a channel of grace to others. And it is in that experience of not just receiving, but sharing what we have received that we experience the power of that living water We experience his refreshment in our lives. We experience a nearness to him that we were created and commissioned to enjoy. Nobody feels the Spirit's fullness in their lives without learning to share. We share our faith. We share our time. We share our lives in fellowship with one another. We share what God has given us, and we do so generously because we have received from a generous God. The problem is, and what, what makes this passage stand out to me, is that typically the rejection makes it harder. If you've had a bad experience, maybe you, maybe you thought to yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have experienced such joy with Jesus, I am going to seek to to." to bless someone else with that. I'm going to share that, that, that joy with someone else. And, and maybe you have a bad experience and most people kind of back away when that happens. When, when something like what happened to Saul happened, they kind of decide, oh, that was a bad idea. I'll just, 
I'll just kind of give up on that part. Um, I, I, I say that because uh, even with pastors, I uh, had an interesting experience in December. I attended what I think was perhaps the most poorly attended regional uh, association, pastoral association meeting that I've, I've been to in, in eight years. Um, when, when they announced that the topic is, uh, we've got a, a great speaker who's going to come and talk about theology. We'll get 25 pastors show up. Um, another time we had a person come in, they're going to talk about grief counseling. We had 35 pastors show up. Uh, during the pan, uh, just as the pandemic was kind of coming to the end, we had somebody come and talk on mental health. We had 45 pastors show up. This, the room was full. It was unbelievable. In December, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a brief uh, evangelism training, and then we're going to go and uh, knock on, on doors for an hour together. We had about a dozen of us show up. I, it was, it was, I've never seen so few people show up for, for uh, a, a, a seminar. And these are pastors. And, and I get, you know, maybe, you know, knocking on doors, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you think it's, you know, that's not the way. Uh, that, that's, that's all fine, well and good. But I, I guess, and I think, that maybe the anticipated rejection was a part of the equation. I don't know what people will say. I don't know what they'll do. I, I don't want to be a part of that. And so almost nobody showed up. We actually, I think, we had more trainers come, or at least as many trainers come, perhaps more than we had pastors there to be trained. Is that amazing? So we went out. I, I was paired up with a guy who, he said to me, Paul, I've been doing this once a week, an hour a week for about five years now. And he said, I've never not had an opportunity to share the gospel in, the, in, in, in that five years. A at least one person in, uh, in, in, in an hour just out introducing ourselves to people, somebody gives me an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And, and I don't, it was the beginning of December. I don't know if you remember, the, there were some cold days. And this was a cold day in Stouffville. The wind was coming down and, and we, were, we were walking along and it's in the middle of the day. So most people are at work and the people who aren't at work are working from home. So they, they would come to the, you know, the door in their pajamas and uh, they've got the headphone going and, you know, is this a bad time? Yeah, it's a bad time. That's okay. No problem. And um, finally, we, uh, I'm thinking, boy, this guy has been doing this for five years, once a week for an hour and and he's never not had a chance to share the gospel. He goes out once with me, and we, not, nobody. You know, I'm thinking, oh, man, it, it's, I'm the problem, right? And sure enough, at the end of our hour together, somebody, come, somebody answers the door. And yes, he was working from home. Yes, he was in his pajamas. But it was like God had prepared him. It was like he was waiting for our visit. He, 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 we, we said, hey, can, can, we, can we pray for you? And he said, oh, yeah, I would, I would, I'd love for you to pray for me. Come on inside. Uh, and, and we said, you know, would you mind us just sharing, just taking a minute to share um, how, how God can uh, work in a person's life? He said, I'd love for you to share that. We, we get to the end of it, and he said, how do you feel about that? Where, kind of, where do you see yourself in this? And he said, well, I, I think I'm, 
I'm over here. And that's kind of like, I didn't think you were going to say that. That's, that's, that's good news. And he was interested, prepared, uh, eager to have met with us. He said, yeah, I've had some friends over the years who've kind of shared bits and pieces of this, and I'm so glad that you came. And um, is there a church that I can attend? Can I can learn more about this? And we're like, wow, really? And, and the message for me was, don't let the resistance, don't let a bad experience, don't let your preconceptions of what pe- how people might respond get in the way of what God might desire to do. You share. We've been given grace, we share grace. We've been offered forgiveness, we offer forgiveness to others. We have been called to be a part of what Jesus is seeking to do uh, in, in our lives, but in uh, other people's lives through us. So people's resistance makes it harder, uh, but don't let it make you bottle up the grace of God. Share even when people reject you. Share also when Christians disappoint you. It's not always the people out there that get in the way of us uh, moving forward in our relationship with God. Sometimes it's the people in here. Sometimes it could be someone in your row. It could be a bad experience with a Christian. Someone disappoints you and you decide, I'm going to kind of hold back on this thing. I'm just not sure. Share even when Christians disappoint you. Now, if the opening verses of this passage felt like a bit of a horror movie, uh, what we're going to look at now feels like an experience with an overhyped restaurant. Saul arrives in, uh, so verse 26, Saul arrives in Jerusalem. This is where the church began. So his hopes had to be high. I don't know about you, but if it was the first century, this is just just a few years has passed now since Jesus was first resurrected, uh, the, the church was born. Like if you had a chance to visit that church at that period in history, it would be exciting, right? And so uh, Saul, he's just come to faith. Uh, he was off uh, in Damascus. Now he's returning to Jerusalem. He'd have to have some expectation, a little bit of excitement. These are the people who saw Jesus walk the earth. These were the people who were there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first given. Like, these were, you, you don't get any closer to uh, these events than that. What would it be like to actually pray with those people? What would it be like to actually worship together with them? Amazing, right? Well, Saul makes that trip, goes to Jerusalem, and he's going to meet with those Christians. And verse 26 tells us what happens. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. That would have to hurt, right? What a letdown. If, if, if this was a restaurant, you just wouldn't come back. You'd be like, if you don't want my business, I mean, if you don't want me here, then I'm, I'm not going to hang around. You would, you would pull back. You would not just, not just with that particular church, maybe you pull back and say, I, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing altogether. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to stay home. I'm just going to keep it to myself. 
Well, Saul instead perseveres. And a person named Barnabas vouches for him, someone whose, whose name literally means son of encouragement. He comes to his side, says, no, this, this Saul guy is for real. He, he, yes, he was hunting down Christians. Yes, you saw him there when he presided over Stephen's death. That stoning, that was something that he sanctioned. This guy was legitimately bad news for the followers of Jesus but he's been changed. He has met Christ and his life has been turned around. He's given himself uh, to, to Jesus. And verse 28 gives the result. It says, so Saul, uh, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, how do you keep serving like that after an experience like he had? How? How do you keep going on? Why didn't he get bogged down? And yet we know, probably everybody knows at least one person who has had a bad experience with the church or a bad experience with a Christian or even just hearing about some bad experience of some other person and you've you've heard them say, that's it, I'm done. Why did he continue on? How was he able to forgive and get past it? Well, I think what becomes clear is it is a recognition of how much he has been forgiven that allows him to forgive others. How would you go forward not remembering? How how do you forget that you've been forgiven for murder? How do you forget that, that... God has so worked in, his, in your life that even though you were hunting down his followers to arrest them, he forgave you. He accepted you. He, he poured out grace in your life. He showed his love to you. How does that not, how, how do you not let that get away? How, how does that not continue to affect you? Knowing how wrong he had been gave him patience when other people got it wrong. Knowing that he had, he had been really confident, thought he had verses to, to, to show that, that this was not right, and realized that he was wrong. And so when other people were wrong, it gave him the grace to be able to show forgiveness to them. In Ephesians 4.32, he went on to write this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You hear it? As God in Christ forgave you. That's how you keep serving when Christians disappoint you. You remember how much God has forgiven in your life. And you share that kind of forgiveness with other people. You remember how gracious he's been to you so that you can share that grace with others. That's how you keep serving when Christians irritate you, when church people annoy you, when something goes wrong. You remember what God has done to forgive you and you extend that same forgiveness to others. So far we've said, share even when people reject you. Share even when Christians disappoint you. And finally, share because Jesus is the Son of God. 
Everything we do needs to flow out of a conviction about who Jesus is. Share because Jesus is the Son of God. Now, do you remember what set this whole passage in motion? Uh, Back in, in verse 20, it says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, and hear his message, saying, He is the Son of God. Saul had thought Jesus was a fraud, thought he was an imposter. But as he met him on that road to Damascus, he realized he was the Son of God, and it changed everything. Now, some people misunderstand this. They figure maybe Son of God means something less than God. They think maybe Jesus is the Son of God in the same way that we're all, in one sense, children of God. Maybe that's all it's saying. But that misunderstands it completely. When the devil confronted Jesus in the desert, uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 3, he got it right. He said, if you were the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. He knew that, that Son of God was a statement of authority. He knew to call him Son of God wasn't to call him less than God. It was to recognize his role in the Trinity. He's a member of the Godhead who came into this world to be born as a son. And interestingly, when, when we think, oh, what, what kind of son? What, when you say son, what are you thinking? And, and sometimes we put our own picture of what it means to be a son onto that term. But right back in at the beginning of God's people, God put the story of a son that every Jew would hear and would love. They would look back on that story and it would inform them uh, as it was originally just an, an important part of their history, but that story would then inform what it means for uh, Jesus to come as the Son of God. That story is the story of a man named Abraham and his childless wife, Sarah. They were old enough to be great-grandparents, but they hadn't been able to have a child. And at this impossible age, God miraculously provides a son for this couple. His name was Isaac, and Isaac was their miracle child. He was their wonder child. He was their promised child. But then God made a shocking request of them. Genesis 22.2, it says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And you think, how cruel. How could God ask them to do that? This is their their special son. This is their promised son. This is their miracle child. Sacrifice him? And we realize, as the story plays out, we realize that this is on one hand a test to see whether Abraham truly trusts in the Lord, but it also becomes a picture because at the last minute, God intervenes. He had no intention of killing the child. He intervenes, provides a substitute, but it was on this mountain that for, that the temple would be built. It was on this mountain that for a thousand years, anytime an Israelite wanted forgiveness, they would go up this mountain and on this, at this temple, they would pray to God and offer a sacrifice and he would forgive their sins. 
They did that for a thousand years. And then there appeared a person born into this world and they were recognized as the son of God. It was a miracle child, a wonder child. It was a long promised child. And he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Everybody hears that and they were think, wait a second, that's what happened to Abraham and Isaac. But this time he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you hear that and you realize to call Jesus the son of God is to realize that he's the one the father gave as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's the one the father sacrificed so that we could receive forgiveness. Jesus was loved by the father the way that Isaac was loved by Abraham. But God gave him to us as a gift and Jesus willingly offered his life for us. In him, we're delivered from death. In him, we have eternal life. That's what it means to call Jesus son of God. And when you see how much God has sacrificed for us, you can't help but sacrifice for others. When you recognize how big of a gift you have been given, you can't help but want to give to others. And when you've experienced that forgiveness through Jesus Christ, you can't help but want to extend it to other people. So share your faith. Share your life with others. Share what God has given, his abilities, his resources. Share what God has done in your life with other people and let those living waters flow, not just into you, but through you. And experience the power of God as you do. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for your gift of the Son. You sacrificed the one who was most precious to you for our sins. And he willingly, laid, he willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. Help us, Father, to enter into that spirit of sacrifice. Help us to be those who give, those who share. Help us to make Jesus known. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.